we were staying at like a pretty average spot, which like it didn't cost like it was like ten dollars a day or something like that over in Bali. Yeah. But we were like, what happens? Like, what does seven hundred dollars a day get you over here in Bali? Um, and we basically found like the nicest villas in Bali on Airbnb. Myself and my partner Geo started messaging them saying, like, hey. We're, you know, exchange students traveling around um, Asia and Indonesia. We have a drone. Notice that you don't have the best Airbnb photos in the world. You could probably charge more per night uh, if you wanted to, if, you know, we came over and like stayed with you for a week and we just like took some drone shots for y'all. Um, the result of that was Gio got his Airbnb account banned for three years. And I found <laughs> a really nice Italian woman who owns property in Indonesia who put us up for over, well over a week. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, before we dive in, just want to give a quick, quick thank you and shout out to our friends over at TouchStay. TouchStay enables hosts to build beautiful digital guidebooks in a matter of minutes. They help you enhance the entire guest experience by packaging your recommendations for coffee, wine bars, artisan bakeries, and Michelin star restaurants in a single online location. Guests can access everything through a simple link. And yes, it works without a Wi-Fi connection, which is Super key, especially if you're in a more remote location. TouchStay allows you to customize your guidebook to match your brand. You can pick the colors, fonts, and images that best align with your short-term rental. Learn more about a plethora of other features they have and start your free trial at touchstay.com forward slash BTS. That's BTS as in behind the stays. Thank you, TouchStay, for making this conversation possible. In just a moment, you'll meet Connor Gross, an entrepreneur in his mid-20s who is currently focused on building a portfolio of self-storage units across the state of Texas. Connor graduated from Northeastern University in 2020. As a part of a co-op program at Northeastern, he was able to spend a semester building his first startup. That startup was Cardly, and he built this with his co-founder Giovanni. Cardly was a snazzy-looking credit card holder that attached to the back of your iPhone. After selling the startup in early 2020, Connor began learning about real estate investing. While the idea of investing in short-term rentals was attractive, in Connor's mind, being responsible for a place where folks actually lived or vacationed was a bit too much of a headache, at least while he was just starting off. So he decided he would start with self-storage. Tune into an energetic, idea-producing conversation where Connor and I discuss how he convinced the host of a luxury villa in Bali to let him stay in their home for free, how he founded, built, and sold his first e-commerce company, why you're never too young or too old to start your entrepreneurial journey, and Connor's hot takes on the future of travel and hospitality after living out of a suitcase for nearly two years and traveling to more than 30 countries. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Connor Gross. All right, Connor, so if... If I were to crash a, a happy hour with you and, and some of your closest buddies, and if I were to ask them to tell me a bit about Connor Gross, what is it that you you imagine they might say? Would they like immediately start telling a story or how would they how would they describe you? Yeah, I, I saw this question come up over email. And I, I literally thought about it for probably 20 plus minutes because I was like, well, it really depends on what happy hour he's at. Because uh, <laughs> I think it depends on what friend group that you're with. Um, a lot of the friends I've had over the past couple of years have evolved definitely quite a bit. And I think if this is a happy hour of like a high school reunion and like a cocktail party there, um, I think a lot of my friends would be like, he travels a lot and hasn't come home much since high school, uh, which is honestly just kind of the truth. Um, if you ask a lot, I think a lot of my college friends, when I first got into college, I was like super gung-ho and said, I just wanted to start companies and build companies um, during my time at school there. And so I think a lot of them would say like, I'm definitely more entrepreneurial focused, uh, like to kind of go out and try to start businesses and find ways to make money in somewhat creative ways. Um, and I think the evolution of all of that and probably where I'm at more so today is like the evolution has been the people at that cocktail party would be like, oh, he's one of us. Like he's, yeah. he starts companies and like he does all that stuff. And I think uh, I thought about this a lot and I think it's a really good question because like 
as I've kind of gone through my life, I've just slowly been able to either attract or like find uh, myself more people who kind of have that same mindset that I want to do, which is really kind of just consists of like, for lack of better words, doing cool shit. Yeah. Uh, whether that's in your career, in your life or whatever. So I like to travel a lot, like to start a lot of companies, like to learn new skills, hobbies. Um, and I'm definitely always trying to surround myself with people who are like in that same mentality too. If, um, if I were to like run into 10 year old Connor, right now and i were to like ask him what he wanted to be when he grew up like do you do you know what you would have said even back then as a 10 year old i remember i was very adamant on wanting to be like an inventor Uh growing up like which which like inventor like as a kid you're like that's a profession like (laughs) uh, like you look at like thomas edison Yeah, no, literally, I remember like seeing like Thomas Edison grew up in New Jersey where I grew up and like I would like bring have my dad like bring me to like his old house uh, and all of his stuff like growing up. So I think now uh, the biggest difference would be like I'm not inventing anything cool. For the most part, I'm like capturing, trying to go and capture value off of things that people already find cool hmm. uh, is probably the biggest difference. And so it's less art, more business or less less art, more science, I guess, yeah. if I had to go that way. Um, but yeah, the idea of like always inventing or something or at least like making something out of scratch was always really really cool to me so i definitely feel like from a company side i get to live that piece out a little bit yeah yeah uh that's that's a great answer it's funny i've interviewed uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and the number of them that have had similar sort like had similar desires as a 10 year old to specifically be like an inventor um it's it's i mean the majority um in in some way shape or form even if they they didn't use that actual word And, and like I wonder if that was just a generational thing. Like w- like when we have kids or whatever, like I wonder if, if they'll grow up and like they'll they'll say I want to be an entrepreneur cuz like I I don't remember my at least like and I grew up in a very different context, but like I don't remember even hearing that word until I I must have been it must have been like when I was in high school yeah. was the first time I had heard it. And so I I don't know that I would have even had the vocabulary to express that as a as a desire. Yeah, I think it's uh, probably a lot to do with two things, probably one parenting and like who raised you and like what they're showing you on the on the daily. Uh, the other side is just like what type of content you would consume yeah. as a kid. And yeah. so if I had to guess now, like uh, I remember as a kid being like in my high school library, or in, sorry, like grade school library. And like the only interesting books that I could find that weren't like just total fiction books would be around these people who like you know, the Henry Ford, like creating Ah, the Model T or like the Thomas Edison and like the inventions that he created. And I always found that stuff along with a lot of Greek mythology, really interesting. Um, But in terms of like today, I don't think people are reading nearly as much as they used to, um, partially just because like the mediums have gotten much better. And I think it's a lot of TikTok and YouTube. And so if I had to guess what people, I think overwhelmingly want to be content creators. Yeah. Um, Yep. Whether it's like seeing the Mr. Beasts of the world and saying like, oh, yeah, I want to be Mr. Beast when I grow up or any of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, super, super valid point. So, dude, in, in prepping for the chat, we connected on Twitter and I've been following you for uh, a few months now. Um, but I was like, you know what? I, I need to do my due, my due diligence and give uh, Connor Gross a, a proper Google before we uh, hop on this chat. And, um, you, you know, to, to be candid with you, I, even after my little bit of Googling, I, I don't I don't exactly know how to describe you like it's like you're yeah. not you know just this dude is interested in real estate investment you're not just a podcaster you do both of those things and and then some as you've just alluded to uh, you started a cool business um, while you were in in college and I want to talk about that for a little bit but I, I'm curious like when when you do go to like a, a cocktail party or like a networking event and somebody walks up to you and says hey man like you know hi who are you and and what do you do like how how do you position yourself like what what is the positioning statement for for who connor gross is yeah uh so so everything you just said i still definitely struggle with a lot too um (laughs) i don't know exactly how to go on like when i was single like for the past couple of years whatever it would be uh a lot of like going on first dates and like i steer far and clear away from any of the like the career conversations because i'm like listen this would take up a lot of the time here yeah so uh you know to to the short answer to your question is most cocktail parties or anything like that where i'm meeting people the quick answer is i do real estate in texas um that's the easiest thing and for most people they're like if they're actually into real estate we get into that i talk about more the self-storage facilities we buy yeah Uh, if they don't know anything about real estate it just is kind of like they're probably thinking I'm a realtor or something like that. And we can kind of just steer away from the conversation because I like kind of talking more about other people uh, for the most part and just try to get the conversation off myself. Um, 
But I think the one thing that's kind of true for me when it comes to like a career standpoint, and I think because this is a real estate podcast, a lot of people I'm sure are familiar with the whole like Gary Kelleher, the one thing book and like the importance of like really having like a strong focus. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with that in that I think having a strong focus is the best way to make money. Um, totally agree with that. Like not even a question in my mind. I think where I'm trying to do things just a little bit differently is I am trying to really optimize for like fun in my career on top of making money. Mm. And I think if I just did one thing, even if it's the thing that brings me the most joy today, I think I would probably just get bored enough of it. And I think you know that's candidly, like that's where you make a lot of money. Like yeah. you make money, like going past the boredom state and like still focusing and grinding on this one thing. Um, but for me, I'm like, cool. Like, tap down on some of the real estate stuff today. I'm going to go focus on the e-commerce and like the e-commerce Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales are over. Great. Let's go like backfill some uh, guests for a podcast and try to go and like grow that channel. Um, so like, I get to like experiment on a lot of different fronts. And I think the people that I personally look up to the most, both in like business and content and like really their careers are not super singularly focused. Yeah. And they are often tough to describe. Yeah. Um, like I think... Uh, one of my favorite Naval quotes has something, it goes something along the lines of like, um, you know, humans are not insects, they're not ants, they're not designed to go and just do one thing in their career. And like, if you look historically, uh, like during like the Renaissance periods, right? Like you grow up, you'd be a teacher and then you'd find a craft and then you'd go and, uh, you know, change over to be like a mentor to somebody else. And then you'd go and run for like political office. And like, you had several different careers throughout your career. And I think right now somebody like will graduate college call themselves a B2B SaaS marketer and then go and do that for the next you know 30 years. And I'm like, that to me doesn't excite me at all. Uh, you know, and the default quote was essentially like people see a bear, not that interesting. People see a unicycle, not that interesting, but a bear riding a unicycle, like that's interesting. Like finding different ways to go and combine different skill sets. Um, and so the way I kind of like describe it to myself to yeah. maybe like um, distill it a little bit more is really like simple things. Like, make money in businesses, invest that money into real estate and talk about it via podcasting, Twitter or whatever. Cause I find that like that kind of is a form and leverage in and of itself where I can then like meet cool people where I can start more businesses with or meet interesting people or investors that I can buy more real estate with via the content piece. So it's like might make money in business, invest that money in real estate, talk about it on content. Dude, I love that. That was, uh, that was so well said uh, and, and so neatly packaged. Hey guys, so I have to tell you this really quick story about my experience with short-term rental host guidebooks. So two years ago, my wife Gabby and I were on a podcast roadshow. We were actually collecting stories for this podcast, Behind the Stays, in the greater Asheville area. So we arrived in Asheville a couple of hours before our check-in, and we asked our host if there were any good recommendations for a lunch spot. He responded saying that he had a plethora of recommendations in his guidebook, but that we should certainly check out Wicked Weed Brewing Pub. So we went to the pub and our burgers were absolutely delicious, so we couldn't wait to uncover what other recommendations he had in his guidebook. But upon arrival, there was no guidebook to be found. We looked on the kitchen counter, the dining room table, even the closet of the guest bedroom, but nope, no guidebook. Now, we're not that extra, but we were pretty high up in the mountains and the internet service was spotty at best, so it made it really difficult to kind of figure out where we should go to dinner. So after 30 minutes of searching, we sat down on the couch and my wife said, why aren't there digital guidebooks for guests? Well, as it turns out, there are, and our new friends at Touchstay are the industry leaders. Touchstay enables hosts to build beautiful digital guidebooks in a matter of minutes and enhance the guest experience by packaging your recommendations for coffee, wine bars, artisan bakeries, and Michelin star restaurants in a single online location. Guests can access everything through a really simple link. And yes, it works without a Wi-Fi connection. Touchstay allows you to customize your guidebooks to match your brand. You can pick the colors, fonts, and images that best align with your STR, and it only costs $99 a year. Learn more about a plethora of other features they have and start your free trial at touchstay.com forward slash BTS, as in behind the stays. Oh, and while we didn't ever find our Asheville host guidebook, the cleaners did. It was in the trash. Apparently, the guests before had spilled a whole pot of coffee on it, and they were so embarrassed that they threw the whole guidebook away. I guess it was a blessing in disguise though, because we told our host about Touchstay, and a year later, when we went back to his cabin, Touchstay was there, 
and it was absolutely perfect. So start your free trial of TouchDay at touchday.com forward slash BTS. Again, that's BTS as in behind the stays. All right, guys, back to the show. I want to circle back on one thing you said because it's something I think a lot about is is sort of the the fun piece of of business because like I think about like Cody Sanchez right I'm sure you follow her or you've seen her stuff and like her big thing is like you know buying like boring businesses right and and she makes great content but like her like the core of what she you know buys she buys like laundromats and like car washes and stuff like that right and, and for me it's always been like this oh well I I bet I could go do that but I also feel like I would be totally bored like like that's just like not i just don't find that particularly interesting right and i do think like especially as, as young entrepreneurs people building companies people starting you know bu- building their portfolio for the first time it, it really is important to remember like hey you don't have to always optimize for profit right like you don't always yeah. have to optimize for what's what's going to you know uh, make you the most money right now you can choose hey you know this is a fun optimization or like the way that i'm spending my time over here it's not profitable at all but it's okay because it's fun and it's fulfilling this other like part of me and you know in, in essence it's giving me the creative juice the energy whatever to go back in and feed the businesses that that do have a chance at being at being highly profitable so I, i'm really glad that you brought that up because i don't feel like another a lot of like young people are are spending time talking about that yeah, I think the other piece of that too that nobody talks about is you can be passionate about the idea of business in general mm. without necessarily having to pick a medium which you're passionate about. Like, yeah, the Cody Sanchez example, like I'm sure that woman could not care at all about, you know, the actual proper wash and dry cycle of laundry mats, right? <laughs> However, like she really cares about the idea of maximizing the value of an asset. Yeah. And that to her is interesting. I had um two perfect examples because living in New York now, I kind of get to see a little bit more. I got to lift with one of my lift with one of my buddies at um a gym down the street. And he runs a photo booth company, uh, like a photo booth rental business. And I was talking to him, I was like, man, how's it going? Like are you enjoying it? Are you happy with your time? And he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I work like one hour a week on it. He's like, honestly, like I could not care less about like uh, you know, doing the photo booth rental stuff at these luxury weddings or anything like that. He's like, but pays me super well. And I like it as a business. Cause like, I like the idea of like creating value out of something that's not there. He's like, honestly, like, I don't even know how to use a camera. Uh, like I just hire and subcontract out all of that stuff. And I was like, well, that's super interesting because like it yeah. funds his lifestyle and to let him do the things that he does care about versus like my other friend, Tom, who runs like a, an event, um, apparel business like an apparel and accessory business okay uh, for like music festivals and i was like hey like so i leave this conversation with my first buddy and i say tom like how do you feel about the fact that uh you have to go and like mix business and pleasure like do you ever get stressed out like being at these events and realizing like wow i have to be on i have to focus on business like i can't necessarily go and see like and have as much fun as i would have otherwise yeah and his point was like no, because the business side actually enables him to have more access and more exposure to the event, uh, to the events that he loves to go to, to all these music festivals. So I think, you know, there's no right or wrong answers. I guess what my takeaway is from all of this, like just find something like for me personally, like I don't think I would want to mix business with my passions or pleasure. Yeah. Um, I would probably rather just make money in ways on things that I'm not passionate about because I am passionate about business itself. Are you, um, when you think about the various things you've got your hands in, and we'll, again, we'll talk about all this in just a second here, but your your real estate investments, your your e-com stuff, your, your podcasting, right? Um, is there something of those three that you feel like you were, in, you were like, you used to be more interested than you are now and or something that like when you first got started with it, you were kind of interested, but like you've really developed like, uh, like genuine like love for it? I think at least where I'm at right now in my career, each of them takes some sort of progression. Yeah. And so especially like for me, it's just about learning and getting better. And I think I wouldn't really ever want to necessarily run a lifestyle business where it's like, everything's great. And we grow at five to 10% a year. And like, yeah. you know, it's very, very status quo. Um, I think as a part of growth, you have to kind of learn new skills. And so I think what you kind of just described of like, I get really excited when starting something and then like nine to 12 months in, I get kind of bored because I'm like, well, we got good at the thing that we were starting one year ago. And now you have to ask the question of like, okay, great, what's next? And so like a great example of this on the real estate side right now is 15 months ago, we bought our first property. Okay. And the past you know year or so, we're like, uh, the exciting thing is figuring out how do we run these properties really effectively? How do we maximize value? How do we capture value where the previous owner missed it? Like all of that stuff. And that was, that's been really, really fun. And then the past three months, we're like, honestly, probably maybe more, maybe more like the past four or five months. We're like, well, we did it. Like, yeah, we, we figured it out. Like, 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 yeah, like, like, 
great crack that code what's next um and now the next code is like well can we not be in charge of that like can we hire a manager who goes and runs it all and like has somebody in-house and like that's what we've been working on the past three or four months and now i know like i'm actively interviewing right now for acquisitions analysts to go and actually figure out great the next piece of this equation is going to be deal flow like how do we get more deal flow and then i know six to nine months from now great like we have deal flow we're operating it effectively like all is good uh we're running out of money like you know like how do we go and like raise more outside capital uh to go and begin buying more of these assets and maximizing the value so um it's just i think as long as you're growing yeah. you will always kind of go through those exciting to boring phases and it's important to just make sure that like you're constantly iterating on the boring side of it if that's what you're passionate about yeah yeah no i i couldn't agree more there um so i, I want to talk about your journey into real estate but but first um in in my googling i stumbled upon um the the company that you started while i believe you were at you were at north northeastern and you started it with a, yeah. a buddy of yours um and it was called cardly and um i believe these were like the little like basically like a card holder that would stick to the back of your iphone um so mm-hmm. so Talk to us a little bit about, give us, I don't know, like the Sparknotes overview of like what this company was, where the idea came from, um, and then how like along the way, I know that there's like some cool story of you guys convincing this like host of some like, I don't know, like luxurious villa in in Bali to let you stay there while you were like either working on the company or, you know, there, there's some tie in between the work that you're doing at Cardly and like your uh, adventures in Bali. And I want to, I want to hear a little bit about that story. All right. Yeah, this this could be a podcast in an episode in and of itself. So I'll literally give you the 60 second overview. And if you want me to go deeper into each of them, uh, let me know. Cool. Basically, got to college freshman year. I was like, want to start a business. Uh, Met my business partner, Giovanni, through some class. And he was also like, I want to start a business. So we're like, let's sell anything. Found the stuff they were giving away at freshman fairs. We're like, let's just go and make those designs better uh, and sell them online. It's basically slap it on the back of your phone and can hold your student ID, credit cards, debit cards, license, whatever. Try to sell them a million different ways, sold them to friends, realized, you know, we didn't have 2000 friends and we bought 2000 of these things, (laughs) Tried to sell them like walking around the streets of Boston, wasn't able to do it that way, try to sell them on our website, couldn't acquire customers profitably, Uh, finally put them on Amazon and they started working on Amazon. Hmm. So started scaling that up first to basically track you through like the four years that we had in business. It was made 30,000 the first year, made 150,000 the second year, made $850,000 the third year, and then made 1.2 million the fourth year. Wow. Uh, you'll see that third year was the one that we jumped the most from like 150 to 850. Yeah. And it's important to note that like, this is all just while like part-time in classes, like none of us are taking it too seriously. It's kind of just like in the background, like growing this thing and like sales just happen to be growing, which is fantastic. Um, we basically went to a school that allows you to leave school for six months at a time to go and work. They're called co-ops. And we finally wanted to say, you know what, rather than working for a company, let's see if we can go and actually like grow a really big business here for ourselves and like work on this for our business full time. So we hit up the Northeastern co-op department. We're like, Hey, I want to go and like work on this business uh, for the next six months. And one way or another, they were like, Nope. And we're like, Oh, uh, that's, that's a little off, off putting. Uh, so I basically, found this um, media company in Boston. It's called Boston. They write a lot about like local businesses and like entrepreneurial stuff that's happening throughout Boston. And I emailed them subject line was like two 19 year olds making a hundred thousand plus from dorm room. And then the sub body was like, wouldn't that make a great article? Like uh, if you want to hear the rest of it, like, you know, I'm free for like a 30 minute call this week and can tell you like the whole story. Wow. So the reporter loved the reporter loved it. Uh, we got on the phone. I like tell her about like how we're sourcing the stuff from China and we're selling it on Amazon and all of this. And she, asks at the end of the article, like, what's next? Like, you know, how are you guys planning on growing this business? And I go, oh, like Northeastern just approved us for a co-op. Like, uh, you know, we're going to be going and working for ourselves for the uh, next six months. Like, isn't that so great? So she publishes this article and includes that bit <laughs> on the bottom. And so I, I email over my academic advisor, like I CC the dean at the business school. And I was like, hey, like in the most snarky kind of asshole way possible. Hey, Boston thinks that we're going on co-op for ourselves. Like, wouldn't like it'd be great if they were right or something like that uh and no response for like two days and then like just an email back like the dean is no longer cc'd like uh congrats like your call has been approved like here's your advisor throughout the process etc um and for what it's worth like for what it's worth like that's the year that we went from like 150 a month in sales to or sorry 150 a year in sales to like 850 so like wow. it worked like it it unequivocally like we were able to start getting consistent like 10k months to 100k months just from focusing on this thing full time for six months um 
And the story that you were alluding to earlier was basically towards the end of that co-op where like we fixed all of our supply chain. So we no longer had to be in Boston for everything. And so we're like, well, we don't have to be here. So what if we just went to Bali for the next six weeks? Uh, so we flew out to Bali, worked out of the Bali for a little bit. And uh, the, the too long didn't read version of the story of <laughs> getting the free villa was we were staying at like a pretty average spot, which like it didn't cost like it was like $10 a day or something like that over in Bali. Yeah. But we were like, what happens? Like, what does $700 a day get you over here in Bali? Um, and we basically found like the nicest villas in Bali on Airbnb. Myself and my partner, Gio, started messaging them saying like, hey, we're, you know, exchange students traveling around um, Asia and Indonesia. We have a drone. Notice that you don't have the best Airbnb photos in the world. You could probably charge more per night uh, if you wanted to, if, you know, we came over and like stayed with you for a week and we just like took some drone shots for y'all. Um, the result of that was Gio got his Airbnb account banned for three years. And I found a really nice Italian woman who owns property in Indonesia who put us up for over, well over a week, which was awesome. Wow. Wow, dude. Oh my gosh. Those are, those are two just like remarkable, remarkable stories. Like what I'm just sensing throughout all of this right too, is like when you set your mind to something and you, I mean, you, you just work really, 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 really hard at it. You think creatively about, all right, like you, you, there, there is no, no, right. It's more about like, okay, like if, if there's a, if there's a something that looks like a no, let's find a way to, to turn that no into, into a yes, uh, or, or at the very least a maybe. Um, and, and I think that that's just a, a, a cool testament to, to your work ethic and, yeah, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times people talk about business as being like this this balance between like skill and 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 also like luck, right? Or, or like hustle and, and and luck. And I think like it sounds like you've been able to kind of strike a nice strike a nice chord between um between those those two uh those two crucial components. And I I think that it's it's just really neat to see that you've thought really creatively about how to how to do work or how to problem solve or or how to you know just. I, I'm, I'm sort of like talking in circles here, but like how to think outside the box. And I think that that's just really, really impressive. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. So I, how does all of this lead to your interest in real estate investment? Like, like you, it sounds like you could have just stayed in Bali or come back and like grow, grown cardly to, you know, a, a multi-million dollar a year company, uh, maybe even 10 X it. Like at what point in time do you decide that I have an interest in real estate and, and of all things like storage units? So like, what's, what's the story there? Yeah. Um, so we sold that business in the beginning of 2020. And like, when I say the timing couldn't have been luckier, like the wire hit the bank account. I want to say like the second to last day of February or something like that. Wow. And then like, you, you know, you know, like kind of where the world was at the second to last day of February of 2020. Uh, yeah. yeah, just 2020. Um, so like it hit and then like news articles are coming out and we're like, Ooh, uh, this could be good. And like for us, like e-commerce did well during COVID, but like, want to know it didn't do well, like non-essential items on Amazon those <laughs> first like six months. Like, I don't know if people remember that. Like yeah. the only thing that you could have really ordered on Amazon for those first couple of months of COVID were like paper towels, uh, toilet paper and like a Lysol. few food items. Yeah. Right. And want to know what people weren't buying during the beginning of the pandemic? Wallets, like <laughs> like things, things that you could go around with to hold your debit and credit card. So uh, we got really lucky, especially because our factory shut down for like six months too. So um, very, very lucky there. In terms of how it transitioned into real estate, the reason we sold in the first place was because we we're like, we could spend the next five years 10xing this business. 
But like, I just don't, I think we can do way bigger things in the next five years. I don't think, I don't think 10 Xing this would be the best outcome for us. I think yeah. we had that same amount of time. We could find better returns elsewhere. Um, and at that point too, like we were young enough to like have a little bit of money saved up and kind of told ourselves like we could do a few deals without necessarily having to raise outside capital. Um, and so what it basically came down to most stereotypical route, like I, like I see the question here also asked, like, what did you read, watch, listen to? Like, it's it's nothing that any of your listeners aren't already watching or listening to. Yeah. Maybe the only thing that I would sprinkle on top is like, I think maybe I use Twitter a little bit more than maybe some other people. Yeah. Um, and I, Twitter is really nice because it, I think it takes, I had this conversation last night, like it takes a little bit of time to like break into Twitter to like yeah. know who is who to follow. But then once you find a few interesting people, whether it's in the self storage or short term rental or like industrial space kind of game, you can follow them and people are very open with like their deals and like the type of money they're making, how they're underwriting things, how their assets are performing, et cetera. So we basically came to the conclusion, okay, we have money, let's play the real estate game. We picked self storage because of two reasons. First being, um, we did not want to deal with anybody's living arrangements. Like I just find that like, I think being the property owner of some place where somebody's sleeping every night and like, it is their main thing. Sounds really stressful, especially if things go wrong. Uh, self storage is nice because like, well, I, I was going to say nobody lives there, but like there's been some horror stories. So I, <laughs> yeah, I won't, I yeah. won't get into that too much. Uh, <laughs> but basically like the, the bar and the standards are lower, right? Like people want, uh, locks that work overhead doors that don't squeak and like, you know, a decent curb appeal when they're pulling up to unload their entire living room set. Um, that's really what they want. And then the second thing that we found really interesting is a lot of people go after the single family duplex quads, multifamily space in general. Um, and I think it's a really, really competitive industry. Something like 80 to 90% of that entire industry is owned by like big institutional investors. Yeah. The nice part about self-storage specifically is 92% of the industry is owned by small mom and pop operators. So it's like, you know, the Larry's that are like 75 years old, uh, who like just wanted to buy this for their retirement plan. And like, maybe they saw it through and now they're ready to like get that paycheck and kind of live off of annuities for the next 10 years or so. Um, but you have a lot more... I don't want to say like unsophisticated sellers, just like not investor, not like institutional uh, competitors, sure. especially at like a smaller level that you're competing against. Um, so both those reasons were like kind of where we wanted to transition into real estate and then specifically self-storage. Yeah, yeah. And and on that note too, I, I would imagine too, there's there's probably like a, a sizable market of, of folks who do kind of fall into that caliber of they they bought this maybe 20 30 years ago they i have now done well for themselves they want to be able to leave, leave their children and grandchildren a little something but they also just like they don't want the headache anymore like they 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 you know and or they don't have a lot of you know vision for optimization at this point right they they just they just don't care um so it sounds like a, a super interesting business so where so you uh, are all of your units in in Texas, is that you mentioned at the offset here that you invest in real estate in Texas? Have you branched out beyond the state of Texas, or is everything in Texas right now? We only have four facilities right now. Um, three of them are in Texas, so that consists of about I want to say it's like 270 units or something like that. Okay, uh, and then we got one deal through Arkansas, uh, over in Arkansas. Okay, okay. And when you were just starting out, Connor, like. Did you did you have any personal like family connections who kind of gave you the ABCs of of real estate investing? Like, did you what, do you remember what the first couple months of you sort of like diving into into this idea? What what were you consuming then, or like what what um what information diet did you did you take part in as to to at least just kind of like learn the basics of of how this world works? Honestly, one of the top self-storage operators that I follow is AJ Osborne, and he puts out a ton of content. I think he, he has like a whole educational curriculum now. Um, at the time, I just read his book. Um, okay. I think it's quite literally just called Growing Wealth Through Self-Storage. And that was helpful because he basically just has the entire framework of what you're supposed to do after you acquire these assets, how you find them, how you underwrite them, how you go and like make sense of them. Um, that was the biggest thing. I'll, I'm going to go back to Twitter. Twitter was also really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like not, not a ton. I think when we like to kind of give you the perspective of when we were closing on that first deal, like we did everything we were supposed to before sending the wire or the, the earnest money. And it basically came down to like myself and my partner looking at each other. We're like, I think it makes sense. Like, like, but there was, I don't want to make it seem like we were super confident about it either. Like we were so uncertain that it was going to be a good idea that like part of it, we were going to pass on it because we're like, 
I just don't know what to do. But the question that really helped us to kind of knock it cold feet and move forward is like, listen, like if it's not this deal, what deal is it going to be like? What do we have to see that is like more right than this deal for us to feel comfortable with it? And when we couldn't really figure out what exactly it was going to be, um, we ended up moving forward on it and like honestly ended up being our best deal yet. Hmm. Uh, just on like a return standpoint, like closed all cash for 400 and it appraised um, last month for 1.2 in like wow. one year. Wow. So uh, like ended up crushing, but like at the time it was still, I, I don't want to make it seem like we knew it all. We had all the answers. Like I am very much like a learn as you go type of person. Yeah. And as long as I have like some uncertainties answered, I'm, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And this is a nice kind of transition to my next question for you, which is if you were to be talking to, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of your, a lot of your buddies um, have asked you these questions, people that want to get into the game. Um, they're, you know, also kind of in their, in their mid twenties or so they've never invested in real estate before. They might not even like own their, their, their own home yet um but like like what are what are two to three sort of like really important questions that you think folks should ask themselves um before kind of like getting into the game mm. i so i wrote down two here uh just based on uh looking at these questions ahead of time the the first first is might be kind of a I think it's the right question to ask, honestly. The first question is how much money do you have? Yeah. Um and I and I know there are so many people, courses, content, uh, strategies out there around little to no money down, uh, around like, you know, seller financing the entire deal around going out and wholesaling a bunch of contracts, even with no money in your bank account. Like, I think that's important to recognize that there are strategies out there, but if you're actually like, maybe, maybe let's take it back to the, even the first question I would ask them, like, what are your goals overall? Yeah. I think if you if your overall goal is to get real estate investment exposure and have it be a part-time passive thing for you, I think that you should start off with money. Like, I think you should honestly have a couple hundred thousand um, dollars in the bank account yep. of like, great, I'm going to go and allocate this to buying a quad and maybe I'll house hack it for a little bit, or maybe I'll go and like put it, put all of this down and have like relatively low leverage. Um, like really kind of think through what you want to do, if, especially if it's like a part-time passive thing. Now, if you are of the opinion that you want to say, no, I want to go all in. I want to make this my entire career. Like I am going to be doing real estate. I'm going to be doing fix and flips. I'm going to be doing investments and I'm going to build up a massive portfolio, whether that's through your money or somebody else's money. Then I think that changes the the dynamic and changes the conversation of saying, great, like you should then think through the different strategies that you can go and accumulate a lot of wealth without necessarily having a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that I don't want to pretend like I'm a genius on this. There's people that are a thousand times smarter at me on this kind of stuff. But like, then I would start thinking to yourself, like, great, how can I go and leverage other people's capital? How can I go and begin leveraging like relationships with a lot of these brokers and the value, the asset that you probably have the most of, if I had to guess, given the fact that you want to go all in and don't have money, which is probably time. It's yep. probably someone who's young who like to say has a shit ton of time on their hands. And they're like, yes, I don't mind killing myself for the next like two years, just make phone calls every single day to pers prospective sellers. Because eventually if something hits and I get one contract under uh, one deal under contract, like you can quite literally make pretty life-changing money off of one deal alone. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you can do that super part-time. I think yeah. people do, but I think it's really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think to just summarize, cause I think I was a little all over the place there in my response, it'd probably be identify what your goals are. If it's to go and establish some form of passive income and, and try to go and just do this part-time, uh, you know, I would recommend having money saved up or even look into alternatives around like trying to be an LP in some kind of fund yep. or syndicated deals. Um, if it's, I want to do real estate, I want to do it all, all the time. It's figuring out what asset do you have the most of, which is likely time and utilizing that to build relationships and leverage other people's money to start building up a portfolio. Yeah. That those are remarkable questions. Really, really, really good pieces of advice. And I'm glad that you sort of like drew, drew this distinction between kind of like a part-time kind of passive approach versus full-time. Cause I, again, I do think if you spend too much time on Twitter or too much time, even, uh, watching certain TikToks, you can, you can think that you can do this all um, with no money down. And again, like maybe, maybe you're Superman um, and, and maybe you are okay with like the lifestyle that comes with, with, uh, with assuming that, that sort of approach. Um, but, but again, it's not necessarily something that everyone should do uh, uh, to when just getting started. Um, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I just, just, I was just gonna say one more thing that I maybe is somewhat of a hot take that I don't know if a lot of real estate investors will agree with, but I think it's like, I guess when I was first getting to real estate, the biggest, uh, 
the biggest thing that I felt like people said that I still don't know if I necessarily see today is we have pretty exceptional returns on a lot of the deals we've done, like when it comes to a cash on cash return basis, et cetera. And so I don't think I'm just like uh, I'm missing the point entirely. People love talking about how much real estate cash flows and how much cash flow comes from real estate. Yeah. Like I think it's very important to say, like, compared to other investments like dividend stocks or like treasury bill, treasury bonds, like absolutely real estate cash flows a lot. Compared to like running and operating a business, hmm. real estate real estate doesn't cash flow at all. Like, <laughs> and the fact that like like trying to go and pull the lever to make it cash flow more is outrageously hard. Like our best our best deal that we did, we three x NOI on a monthly basis on that deal, and like still like now we're we're maxed out on that deal. Like I can't do anything without buying more land to expand yeah. the self storage facility to go and actually maximize more NOI. I can try to drive costs down a little bit more, but like we're already like we're already pretty optimized when it comes to margins. And so the one big piece of advice I would make to somebody who's in their 20s or just getting started off is like focus on increasing your cash flow first. I would yeah. honestly recommend just like starting starting some kind of business. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a service business, um, I'll be honest, e-commerce business takes up a lot of cash too, unless you're doing some other models. Um but like figure out a way to go and increase your cash flow as much as humanly possible first uh, before getting into real estate, unless you plan on like, you know, tying up contracts and wholesaling those and making money that way, which is totally an option. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, you're uh, loads of loads of, of wisdom here, Connor. I really, really appreciate you um, making time to share all this. Um, uh, just a quick last uh, uh, kind of related question here is what are your thoughts on like we're seeing all these uh you know, fractional ownership of short-term rentals pop up. Whereas, you know, REITs obviously have been around for a while, but, you know, we're, we're seeing sort of like these startups who are building, uh, you know, some of them are even building like Airbnb alternatives. And then layered within that is like a membership and then also fractional ownership of these, uh, of this portfolio <laughs> of homes, right? So th there's there's definitely sort of like a, a lot of buzz right now about this stuff. And I'm just curious, like, uh, as, you know, as a as someone in, in his in his mid twenties, um, is this like what do you think about this? Like they're, they're clearly like I've talked to a lot of the a lot of the folks behind uh, some of these companies, and they're clearly going after um, a demographic of folks who are interested in this space, who who like to travel, who are interested in getting um, into into real estate investing, but might not have. Uh, lots of cash, so they their their disposable income might be might be limited. But the idea of owning right like shares in a luxe vacation rental uh, is is attractive to some. So, what do you think about uh, this this kind of like dare I say kind of movement or or even just like a moment happening? Um, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it goes back to this the same question that I would ask when somebody's first getting involved in real estate investing in the first place, whether that's you know their own property or co-investing in this kind of stuff. Like, what are your goals? Yeah. Um, I think like, okay, if if your goal is to make a ton of money, no, don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, like no, nobody's getting, nobody except for the operators on those for the most part is getting really rich off of those deals. Um, and I think the other thing to consider is like that the operators, like who knows what their returns are going to be historically, have they had a lot of really good returns, like same, you know, not investment advice stuff, but like the same thing you would look, I, I would almost treat it as like buying a stock. If I'm being honest, a stock yeah. that maybe has a high dividend yield, because that's what they'll probably want to taunt is the cash flow from it. I don't know if you can pass through any of the dep depreciation on those deals. And I don't know how they're structured as, um, but I would treat it as buying a stock. And candidly, my response to anybody who like asks, what about, what are your thoughts on like buying stocks in your early twenties too, would be the same thing. Like if your goal is to make a lot of money, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Um, my like, Okay, napkin math on this. You have like I tweeted this out today solely because I was thinking about this podcast episode. If you have zero dollars today, it has never been easier doing the math out to become a millionaire. Zero dollars today, you invest a thousand dollars a month, which uh, like I know everyone's on different income levels, but like if you really want to, you can find a thousand dollars a month. And I and I hope that's not even coming from a point of privilege. I just really do think that anybody could find that extra thousand dollars compounded at 7% annually, which yeah. is lower than historical returns of the S&P, and wait 30 years, you're a millionaire, right? Mm. You get 9% annually, and which is the S&P return, and then it's 25 years. So like, I think it's very, very predictable to go and become a millionaire and to try to go and like set yourself up for a really nice retirement if you do the bare minimum. And if that's your goal, if that's what you're trying to go and accomplish, I would say absolutely co-invest yep. in some of these things. Yeah. Uh, if you know the operators are good, you vetted them, they have a good track record and like you're happy with the returns, do that. I think if you want to accumulate a lot of wealth in a much quicker way, the better investment would probably be into yourself and your own businesses and like really try to go and develop more cash flowing uh, assets that way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that uh, that back in the napkin math too, and that that analogy. I think it's it's super helpful for folks to just remember, especially especially for like younger folks who are tuning into this conversation and are just beginning to become like immersed in in this world. It's so tempting, I think, to like run after like the flashy new thing or to assume that this is uh, these models are like dramatically different than the S and P. And it, it's just like it's it's important, especially I think for for young people to understand. Um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, what is, what is your strategy? And long-term can like 30 years can sound like a long time, but it's also about like, all right, well, you know, you have, you are, you are only going to get busier over time, right? Like, let's say you eventually you get married, you're going to have kids. Maybe if you want that, like you will never be, you will never have as much free time as you have right now. And so I think it's just a, a good reminder for people to think about like, how are you actually using your disposable time? People talk about like disposable income all the time, but it's like, how are you using your disposable time? If you have a job from nine to five, what are you using those those other hours for? And is there a way to take a chunk of that time and start thinking about how do I invest that time rather than just investing disposable income in stocks? How do I invest that time into something that might be incredibly more meaningful than kind of a 7% you know, a- annual return that I might respect from a more traditional investment model? Just a good framework, I think, for folks to kind of think through. Um, a couple of final questions for you, dude. Uh, a lot of the folks that are tuning into this episode are short-term rental hosts um, that typically have anywhere from two to 10 uh, properties. A lot of the folks that tune into this podcast um, have done a really good job at like building boutique hospitality brands kind of around their their portfolio. Um, and many of them are kind of like, you know, newer to the space. Some of them are from tech. They've left tech. They've come in. They've, you know, maybe had an exit or their company IPO'd or, and whatnot. And they've got some some money and they want to get into this game. But they're, but they're you know, still relatively new. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like, uh, you've done like such a good job at building, um, content um for yourself you've done a really good job as you've talked about uh, already participating in, in sort of like the, the twitter community um and and whatnot and i'm curious about two things here one is just if you were to be talking to any of these folks um about especially those who are interested in kind of building these these more like boutique hospitality brands about how to become like more public or more out there um dare i say like become a thought leader in the space what are what are some like pro tips you have for um, how to how to get better at content? Is there like a, a channel or a tactic or like a, a medium that you would recommend folks start with today? I think people just like super authentic uh, stories of what other people are working on. I think that's honestly the the easiest thing to do. Like if you go and buy single family residential homes in beach towns and convert them into like Hawaii tiki themed houses, right? Like people just want to hear that. Like post a photo of like the before and after and like what the reno looked like and like post a photo of like how you're booking up on a monthly basis, you know, what your occupancy looks like, share the numbers. Like the fact is sharing numbers is never going to affect you as, uh, like in a negative way in the real estate world. Um, for the, sorry, caveat, yeah. it could, uh, yeah, like yeah. small percentages, <laughs> it could, but like for the most part, like people who are going to be reading it and engaging with that content probably want to go and mostly just uh, learn about it from an investment standpoint. So yeah, my thought would honestly be the first thing from a content standpoint, like this is Gary Vee's uh, phrase, but like document, don't create, like just talk about the stuff you're doing. Don't try to like, like create any kind of like thought leadership content where yeah. it's like, yeah. here's why like the word, like my thoughts are so important. It's like, nah, like, Hey, building these cool short-term rental boutique hotels, like check it out. And people will follow that instantly. Um, and also like anytime that you go get asked a question uh, that you think people might want to learn more about, like you can create content around that. Um, the second thing I would say is around how to go and grow on that is try to go and find one channel that has some built-in distribution and lean into it and like try to make that like your main thing, right? So I think if you have an excellent voice, uh, you know, try to go and, and, and like you like being on camera, try doing more like TikTok and YouTube related content and focus on the, the things that are working well there. If you don't want to be in front of a camera at all and you're like, nope, listen, I've got good ideas and I've got good writing chops, uh, focus on like Twitter and LinkedIn, but try to pick one of those two or one of those options because the nice part about all four of the ones I just said, like they all have built-in distribution. They have algorithms that literally are designed to get your content in front of more people versus the two examples that I think are better for like maybe like more middle of the funnel content would be starting a newsletter. Tough part about newsletters is like they don't grow unless somebody's forwarding them to a friend or like somebody's finding your sign up page, right? And, yeah. and so that's a little bit tougher. 
And honestly, even with this medium, I think podcasts are way more intimate, but like, unless you're on a top chart or have been doing it and, and, you know, have uh, for like 10 years and have great guests who are always sharing your stuff on their social medias, it doesn't have a ton of built-in virality and uh, built-in distribution. So I would focus on something that does and just talk about the stuff you're already working on. I, yeah, I love, I love the, the, the framework too, of just like, of documenting, not, not, not creating. And I think that that's just what, what's cool about this space too, especially folks who are building, there's so many people on like Instagram in particular in, in this space too, who are building homes from the ground up or they're building an A-frame like by hand. And like, they're, they're literally like, it, it's you, the, the whole like idea of documenting as you go is, is super, super easy. Should be super, super easy for the for folks in this, um, in this industry. So I love that. That's, that's really good advice. You're a kick-ass Airbnb host. In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping, it's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping. Brought to you by Spontaneous. Last question for you, man, is just what, as somebody who I know was uh, nomading it up for a bit, uh, I know that you're a little bit more settled, uh, at least for now, in, in New York, but um, as somebody who's spent some time on the road, somebody who, um, you know, likes the, obviously, the real estate space, but also just just traveling and whatnot, what, what like, hot takes uh, or, or strong opinions? Uh, so I was on a podcast recently, and somebody didn't like that I asked them to share a hot take, so... Uh, hot take or, or strong opinion, but they they were okay with strong opinion, just not hot take. Um, Weird. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, people. Um, but uh, <laughs> when, when you think about the future of travel, of short term rentals, and or, or hospitality, um, what what comes to mind? Like what what are what are some of your hot takes? Yeah. Uh, so to caveat all personal opinions, I don't know the business that much. So like, if any of these are bad ideas, um, so be it. This is just what I think would be cool. Um, one is going to be like. When we were talking before you press record, like I've been traveling for the last two years and been staying in like a different Airbnb every month. And you told me that you had done the similar thing, but you said every single week. Yeah. I think your sounds stressful. Like the in and out in a week sounds like a lot. Yeah. And I know even I, I had done some for a week, like, you know, a couple of weeks back to back. And it's too much travel, honestly, um, for, for me, at least. Uh, and so I think the big thing that I would say is this shift more towards the midterm rental uh, play versus the short term. And I know that's becoming more and more popular, especially with certain occupations. I know um, the, the big one that I think people talk about a lot are travel nursing uh, yep. for midterm rentals. Yep. Um, but also I know somebody who's absolutely crushing it on the midterm rental game for families, for uh, in inpatient long-term care hospitals. Huh. Uh, we're basically like, you know, hey, I have to go move up, move up to Boston because they have the best uh, medical center for this type of treatment uh, for, you know, my mom and I need a place to stay. I can't stay in a hotel for the next three months. So like the hospital actually goes and provides leads to this landlord to go and have them basically buy apartment buildings and convert them all into midterm rentals, which is really nice. Um, the other one, I literally thought of this today and I don't know if it's the dumbest idea or, or great idea. So. Uh, you can be the judge, but like, I th- also think a lot of hotels right now. So I think individuals are starting to prefer way more 
um, of the Airbnb types of experiences yep. versus staying in a Marriott. And I think there's good and bad to each, but I think a lot of hotels have a lot of corporate partnerships where it's like, if you work at Google, you only stay at Marriott's. If you work at Apple, you're only staying at Hyatt's, right? Like, I don't know if this is the brands, but like, yep. as yep. an example, they have really good partnerships. I think it would be really, really interesting to go and approach some type of corporate corporation company and say, listen, I will go raise a fund and buy the absolute best uh, like properties around these airports as like an added bonus for your employees. Right. Mm. And so like the examples that came to mind for me is like, what happens if you go and like hit up Microsoft and say, I will go in like these three cities uh, within 30 minutes from an airport, buy a bunch of properties. I'll make sure that there is an in-office setup in each of the properties. So like you can go and have your computer. All of them will already have the Microsoft uh, software on them. You know, I'll have employee ready welcome packets every time you go and move in. Because the fact is like employees want to be remote. And so if companies can go and offer some way to be like, great, I still want you to travel. Here's a way that you can go travel in a way that you prefer. Uh, Or like you can go and stay in like this type of housing for a little bit. I think that could be really fun strategy too. Um, And what I like about both of those options on the midterm rentals versus like short term is that you're getting your customer acquisition, not on Airbnb. And I think uh, Airbnb is awesome. I use it all the time as a consumer. I'll frequently book off Airbnb because I get better rates and I can just like um, kind of skirt some guidelines a little bit that I want to go and kind of work on. And so I know I have a friend who I brought on my podcast where like he does a bunch of uh, short-term housing at like these cool A-frames down in Texas. And he does all of his bookings through working with influencers on TikTok and they all book through him directly. And so like, there's very little platform risk there too. I think um, that's another thing, especially in the buy sell side of real estate is like, if you're selling your short-term rental, trying to base it on like a cap rate versus like just the standard, like single family residential valuation, you kind of have to factor in the fact that like, if you get kicked off Airbnb, your business is zero overnight. Um, so finding ways that like, aren't necessarily super dependent on one platform. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, those are, those are fire. Those are fire, man. I love, I love all those like, ideas. Okay, cool. Dude, those, those, those cool. are, those are fantastic. Um, yeah, no, it's it's great. I think that there's so much opportunity in this space, and um, those are those are wonderful, um, wonderful things that if, if anyone uh, listening wants to go and uh, start them, let us know. Um, but uh, on that on that note too, just on platform uh, the risk too, I, I literally was talking to somebody on Twitter uh, yesterday uh, through DMs who had literally launched an Airbnb. He had his three or four properties, and then two of his Airbnbs had like back to back like bad reviews, and literally like he was kicked two of his properties like totally like kicked off like his, his his listings were i don't know if they were delisted or whatever you call them or like flagged or whatever hidden for for over three weeks it took him three weeks three weeks and he was in he's in like a popular like market right um yeah. and it, it's just like he's just you know obviously super pissed well, quite, but, yeah yeah question too is like your mortgage payments still do that entire time yeah, like yeah. You, still, <laughs> you still need to find a way to like drum up business some way right yeah uh that's that's really really frustrating i know um yeah, I, I think I think it'll be interesting to see how that entire business evolves. I know a lot of people are just doing the whole like Airbnb in a box kind of stuff and they'll go and sell off like, hey, we'll buy a single family residential, customize it up, sell it to you for a markup. And like that's their whole like new model. Yeah, um, I, I'll be honest. I don't know if I'll totally buy it. And I also don't I'll, I also don't think I even buy Airbnb's rebrand that they had this year where they're trying to go and focus all on like cool, unique experiences like I do agree that if you want to run an Airbnb, it has to be like, not exponentially, but like marginally better or different than a hotel. I don't think that you're going to compete with like the nice beds that these uh, luxury hotel brands have. Um, But I do think that like, you, you got to find a way to go and start getting customers that aren't just coming directly through one channel. I think the, the more diversity and the more direct customers you can do, I think one, you'll charge higher prices in general and have better margins because you don't have fees, but then also like just add stability to your business overall. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I think the one, the one caveat there too is it's not even a caveat, just a, something to add is a lot of the folks who I've talked to on this podcast, you know, I mean, they've got their Airbnbs have 70 K some have like a hundred K followers on Instagram. Right. And I mean, th- these folks, like they, they're still on Airbnb and the, the many of them are like exclusive to Airbnb. And I keep saying, guys, when you open up your calendar, like overnight, it's booked out six months. Like, you, yeah, like you have so much demand, like, come on. Like, yeah. and, and you know, for some folks it's like, ah, oh, it's just a headache or whatever. But I do think, and you know, I, I talk about this sometimes on, on Twitter and on this podcast a lot is like, 
I think a, a lot of the alternatives, a lot of the like direct booking, like there's no like wonderful, there's no like great like Shopify for like short-term rentals sort of experience of like this ability to be able to like quickly spin up like a direct booking site that can handle mm-hmm. everything for you, but that you can brand entirely yourself. There's PMSs that have some of these kind of like built into it, but none of them are like, none of them even come close to like the experience that guests have on Airbnb. So I also feel like that's another right. opportunity. Um, but anyways, yeah, I've got a lot. Uh, that said, I still, you know, I love you Airbnb. Um, but uh, thank you, dude, so <laughs> don't, much. Don't kick, don't kick me off. <laughs> I know, I know, please. Um, but dude, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been wonderful. If folks want to follow you, connect with you, uh, and listen to your podcast, we'll have um, links to your Twitter. We'll have links to your pod. We'll have uh, links to anything else you might want us to link to um, in the show notes below. Cool. That's awesome. Cool, man. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, man. It was a ton of fun. Hey, friends. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at Spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.